When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Middle call! Hey, I'm reporting for duty. Reporting for duty. We're mixing up a little bit on this show, John. You got to be able to throw not just fastballs, guy, not just curveballs, but the occasional changeup. That's right. And so today we've got this whole show is an interview with a guy that we think is pretty interesting as he gets ready for the NFL draft. He is receiver prospect Khalil Shakir. Yep. Ran a four, three, five at the combine Boise state wide receiver from California. I think he's going to go on the second day of the draft, you know, somewhere probably between pick 55 and 80 range. I mean, he's very productive player, very tough. Uh, and just obviously just an interesting, clearly a high, you'll hear he's a high level guy. Yeah. He was a fun guy to talk to. Uh, and I think there are whoever drafts him, whether it's the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Niners, I don't know. Uh, whoever drafts him, we already, I can already tell you what the stories are going to be about him by the team, by the people that cover that team. It's going to be his tape has some major highlights. His tape has some impressive consistency and he's a high level guy. I mean, before we talked to him, you watched his tape. We both did, but you're the former NFL scout. What'd you see? I mean, he's just he he ran a four three five at the combine. I don't know if he plays that fast, but toughness, instincts, hands, playmaker. I mean, just productive. Obviously, you know, versatile. We, we learn about the guy. Yeah, he has four rushing touchdowns. He had 12, 19 touchdowns the last three years, and obviously two years ago, the Mountain West played like seven games. Uh, he's just a very, very good player. And to me, the great part is when you're a wide receiver, like if he is drafted in the third round, let's say, and is good in a couple years, you, everyone's going to know, like, how about the guy on the Patriots scored seven touchdowns? Like you immediately right. become famous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we talk to him, John, let's tell the people about our friends at manscaped manscaped.com. Use the promo code ham for 20% off and free shipping. The world is talking about it. We've been talking about it for years. They sent us, they sent us the goods years ago, and we years. are loyal, loyal users. Manscaped.com. Use the promo code HAM for 20% off and free shipping on the best in men's grooming. Lawnmower 3.0 or 4.0, excuse me, 4.0. I, I got the 2.0, I got 3.0, and obviously we got the 4.0. It's fantastic. I, I actually might might be in time for a little trim, you know, here sooner. Clean later. up on aisle five. <laughs> yeah, time to <laughs> bathroom. I'm coming in. Uh so yeah, need to do some of that. The we I love the weed whacker guy. The weed whacker, not that I don't love the lawnmower. It's pretty awesome. I've never owned anything like the weed whacker. It's the first time I've ever used anything like that. And for so long, I think you were the first one that mentioned this to me because I used to just tweeze, and then you said you got to be careful with that. And then I remember looking it up. It's like wow, there's people that go to the hospital if you do the wrong yep. tweezer with a nose hair. The weed whacker. It's so easy, one. It's not very loud. And two, it's painless. Like, it doesn't right. pull or anything. It's just... Yep. The first time I used the Weed Whacker, which is for the nose and ear hair trimmer with the proprietary skin-safe technology, I was kind of nervous. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I haven't done it before. And then it was great. It was fantastic. The uh, proprietary skin-safe technology helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs. Uh, in the... Uh, in your nasal and I don't know what your ear e ears will have you used for the year. I need to, I'm going to go do that right now. That's <laughs> genius. You do so, not want it. one thing with the uh, Manscaped products, right? No tugging because tugging can just be that can be uh, a violent danger uh, zone, a violent move. Yeah. To uh, join uh, other uh, join four million other men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to Manscaped.com and use the code Ham for twenty percent off and free shipping. That's code Ham at Manscaped.com. 
Manscaped.com, code ham, 20% off and free shipping. Boop. So, uh, Khalil Shakir, uh, should we dive into it? Let's do it. Here we go. Hope you guys enjoy. John, it is great to have with us today from his uh, home where he's training in Boise, Idaho. Former Boise State receivers. He gets ready for the NFL draft. Khalil Shakir. Khalil, it's great to have you in the show, man. We appreciate it. Uh, getting ready for the draft and all that. So it's great to have you, man. Yeah, like I said, thank, uh, thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. Excited. I do you think want to tell him, John? Just, yeah, we need to disclose something. You're uh, you're looking at two Fresno State guys right here. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Haberman, this guy lived there for about a decade, went to school there. I was a graduate assistant for Coach Hill there. Okay. Now, in f- in fairness, my two years at Fresno State, you guys beat the shit out of us. That was uh, <laughs> Kellen Moore. <laughs> That was some beatdowns. So, you yeah. you know, and hell, I'm looking at the score right now. Guy, the final score this year was 40 to 14, Boise State. Well, only because Khalil didn't get called for that OPI in the corner of the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, no bad blood, man. I know we did it to y'all once again this past year, but it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's good to get that out. You know, I think we feel a, um, it's been it's hard for us, not hard for us. It's always been funny for us because Boise State has changed coaches, they've changed players. Mm-hmm. Nothing much has seemed to change at Boise since Dan Hawkins left a long time ago, and Dirk Cutter and Coach Pete, and on and on and on. And uh, I think people from outside who were old Western Athletic Conference people, like you know, Dogs and Boise was in the WAC back in the day, and then the Mountain West. There was always that question of like, what is going on up there? Mm-hmm. What is going on? So what what is it? Why why has Boise over the years, you think, maintained such a level of consistency? Well, I think it's because, you know, we have adopted the mentality blue collar, you know, being blue collar. So, you know, every single day, you know, wake up and it's time to go to work, you know, and everybody's going to grind. Uh, we don't let anybody who, you know, tries to, you know, slack off on the day or not go as hard. Um, you know, player, accounta- player accountability is huge. Um, at Boise and it has been and that's why I feel like you know the program has been so successful it's just because of the accountability held amongst the players and the coaches as well you know um, the coaches hold themselves to you know a very very high standard which it you know trickles down to the players so I think just that you know blue collar mentality and the way we've been you know the way we just work every single day is the reason why you know uh, we show up on game days and show out. I think one thing that's cool about your program that I actually think has a lot of parallels with uh, Fresno State is it's a family. You know, you're talking to two guys that are from Davis, California, where Chris Peterson went to school, and then the two coaches that you played for are both Boise guys, right? Mm-hmm. Fresno State, Pat Hill now has Tedford's back. It's just it kind of some similarities in the program. Obviously had a lot of success and guys to the league, but, you know, Boise guys are are, are pretty – I mean, you pl- the two guys you played for literally played for the program. I mean, yeah. that's, that's pretty – that's not – that normal i would say back-to-back coaches at a, at a high division one level yeah no doubt i definitely think that you know when you have somebody who you know wore the same jersey that you wore and that put in the same work that you put in that that level of respect and that level you know to go out there and grind every single day just shoots through the roof you know you have a guy who who put in the work you know who did his time now he's back coaching and you know he's able to relate to us a lot a lot more than somebody who probably didn't, you know, put on that same jersey. So he he knows, I mean, he was one of the guys, Coach Avalos, the guys who who started that, you know, blue collar mentality and just grinding every single day, you know, back in his day when he played and he was a baller as well. So, you know, you just, as a player, you relate to that a lot more, which makes you want to work that much harder for him, you know? I mean, one thing we can all agree is Kirby Moore, <laughs> a Bronco turned bulldog. That's that's cool. Well, we can we can agree on Kirby Moore. <laughs> no, that is dope. That is. He, now he was a, he was a good player. I mean, his he brother was, was slinging the pill to him. Yeah, no doubt. I actually um, talked to Kirby Moore in the recruiting process. Um, um, you know, for trying to get up to to Fresno, um, and you know him talking to him at the time. But uh, you know, you visit a place like Boise, and uh, I mean, for me, my head didn't sway the moment I left left uh, the city. So it's just an amazing place up here. I think, you know, one thing, John and I, John worked in, worked in the NFL as a scout for the Eagles before that he was at Fresno and recruiting. And, um, you know, I've been around it for a long time. Recruiting has gotten so complicated now, you know, they added the signing day and obviously the portal and uh, 
on and on and on. But like recruiting is always fascinating. There is a number assigned to you. There are stars assigned to you. And then that's just what everyone tells you you are. Like you're a three star. You're a four star. You're ranked 48th in the state. Right. Mm -hmm. So what's it like to be recruited? What's it like to have that label attached to you? Now, I, I, you know, I'd read a few spots, three star, 24 seven actually had you as a four star, Mm -hmm. but you know, it looks like you had a few PAC 12 offers, but like what, just take everybody listening. Like, what is that like to be, you know, a high school kid and everyone else is telling you what you are? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good feeling, but it's also a curse as well. You know, Um, I feel like, when you get into the process, you're a young kid, you're in high school, you're trying to figure out your way through life and where you want to end up putting yourself at the best school to have to set yourself up for your future. So it's a lot of big time decisions you have to make and putting yourself in the right at the right school. You know, you see a lot of guys who go to a school and, you know, it didn't it wasn't what they expected. Then they enter the transfer portal, you know, so things like that. I would say, you know, recruiting is a is, is it's fun, you know, because you get to sit there and be like, OK, I have X amount of schools that I could choose from. And uh, I want to make sure I pick the right one. I can take as many unofficial visits and five official visits. And, uh, you know, that's always a good time. But like myself, uh, you know, myself, I only took one official visit to Boise. And I think, you know, when you're labeled as, you know, two star, three star, four star, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. When you get to school, you're going to have guys who were, are all kinds of stars, you know, like have, you know, two was down to zero stars to five stars. You're going to have guys all, all on the team that, you know, have that. And I think either way, um, you're going to have to come in and grind. You get into, you know, playing football, whether it's D1, D2, whatever it is, and everybody's going to grind because everybody's trying to reach the ultimate goal, and that's making it to the league. So you have guys, no matter what star, you know, I've seen walk-ons who, you know, probably didn't – who didn't have any stars come in and just tear in the four-star, five-star. Wasn't wasn't and, Van Der Esch a zero star? Like, I think he was like an eight-man football yeah. guy or something. Yeah, yeah. His uh, – yeah, that was a that's, a – that's a crazy story, and that's what Boise is. You got guys who, you know – people don't really know who they are. Then years, years later, a couple years later, it's like, who is this, who is this kid from Boise state? And next thing you know, they're tearing it up in the league, you know? So I think at the end of the day, stars and all that type of stuff. And, you know, you have 30 offers, whatever. I don't think that stuff really matters. I think it's just putting yourself in the right position to, to set yourself up to have a successful football career. Well, you're now being talked about as a guy that, you know, be a second day pick when you're coming out of high school and go to Boise, typically the type guys that go there maybe don't have the hype, you know, like a guy that goes to Texas or Oklahoma or wherever. When you decided for Boise, was there any other schools that you thought about going to, you know, going to the Pac-12 over Boise State? Like what was your final couple schools when you made the decision? Yeah, I mean, my initial, you know, thought to it all was, you know, I have Pac-12 offers and then it's okay. I have Mountain West offers. Um, When you look at the conference, you know, even though the Mountain West is, you know, uh, dominated the Pac-12, um, it's like, oh, but I have this, you Facts. know, I have this Pac-12 offer, right? So it's like, uh, I feel like once you get that out of your head, like, okay, it is Pac-12, but at the end of the day, all the Mountain West schools, you know, work those other, you know, um, conferences every single year. And it shows every single year that no matter what division or no matter what conference you end up in, no matter what school you go to at the end of the day, you know, you got guys who put in the work and believe and they want to win and they work together well as a team. It doesn't really matter what, you know, conference you end up in. Like I said, um, Mountain West has, you know, shown every single year that they can compete with every, every other conference. I think it's probably a good spot. Uh, I don't want to ask John's question here about the portal, but I think it probably makes sense here. Why don't you ask him, John? You had a good question about the portal. Well, I remember when, you know, Brian left to become the Auburn coach. One, just from a college football standpoint, that was a huge story because I would say it was a little out of nowhere. You were living in it. I mean, you you saw the guy leave. I'm sure he was a big part of your recruiting. He's an offensive guy. Uh, So when that happens, one, what's it like being a player on a team when a coach leaves? And two, you know, you, you had had a lot of success by that point in time. You know, I'd say the transfer portal feels a little crazier now than even it did a year ago. But was there any talk about you going to the SEC and following them? Did you think about transferring to another school or uh, yeah, just tell us that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, that was a tough situation. You know, the team found out on Twitter, you know, we were on, a, a, I believe, our winter break. Um, and I wake I was down in Florida, actually, and I wake up and my phone's blowing up and I'm like, what is going on? And people are just like, just check Twitter. And, uh, you know, Coach Harson was leaving. And obviously that's not the best way to <clears> – <throat> excuse me. That's not the best way to, to 
figure things out or find things out is when you go on social media. And, you know, at that time I'd been under coach Harson for three years and, you know, like you said, had a, had a bit of success under him. So that's a unsettling feeling as far as what the future looks like. Was he, was he the OC too? What does he call in plays? Um, he wasn't the OC, but he, he did help call plays. Um, yeah. you know, the, the staff that he had built around him at that time, especially the offensive staff, um, kind of all worked together to game plan and call the plays and things like that. So, yeah, like I said, it's unsettling feeling about, you know, the future of where I was going to be. But for me, you know, one thing that I told myself when I committed to Boise was that I wasn't truly committing because of the coaches. I was committing because of the university and the community. And I think that helped me a lot make my decision. Okay. I'm going to stay here because the community means a lot to me. The team means a lot to me. The brotherhood means a lot to me. So I'm not going to follow a coach to, you know, to Auburn just because, you know, it's a, you know, bigger conference, you know, at the end of the day, um, my brothers, you know, we all decided to stay here and, 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 you know, go for one more year with each other. And I think that when it came down to making that decision, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a hard one for me just because I knew that what I had here at Boise was much more than, you know, going somewhere else. So like I said, the brotherhood um, here at Boise state is strong and, you know, my head definitely didn't sway as far as transferring. Um, It was just, okay, now who's going to be our next head coach. And obviously we knew who the candidates were going to be. Obviously coach Avalos is the head coach now, um, but he was somebody who um, right away, his name was being thrown out there and we were all just excited because most of the guys on the team had been recruited by coach Avalos. He was there my freshman year before he left. Um, so we all had a connection with him and we were just hoping for the best. And at the end of the day, it all worked out. Is the transfer thing, something that's come a lot, come up a lot with the scouting community when they've talked to you, if you thought about doing it, like, have, have you, has anyone asked you that question? If you thought yeah. about going to the sec or anything? Yeah, I've, I've got that question a lot. And, you know, I, I answer it how I just answered it here. It's, it's not, you know, like I said, I didn't come attached to coaches. I came attached to the university. And I think that, and itself speaks for itself as far as, you know, my commitment to the team, my loyalty, my loyalty is strong to Boise state. And uh, like I said, I wasn't going anywhere. All right. The NFL combine. Uh, What was that experience like? Was it nerve wracking? Uh, Was it fun? Which is what, what, and, and I think John had a good idea before we started talking to you. He said it might be interesting for people to hear just what is it actually like? Tell us about it. What's it put us in your shoes for a day at the NFL Combine? You're checking into leaving, you know, what's yeah. just the experience? getting your assigned tights, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. Um, from the moment you get there to the moment you leave, you're busy, like busy every single day. You're waking up at 536 in the morning and then you don't get back to your room till 11 midnight. You know, so you're busy all day. And, uh, you know, like I said, from the moment you check in you at the uh, airport, you you hop on buses and you get, you know, shuttled to the hotel and then you drop your things off and it's go from there. And uh, like I said, so the schedule is just busy every single day. Um, it's uh, I wouldn't say it's you know, for me, it wasn't that I was nervous about it all. It was just the idea of like how fast everything and how much you're getting evaluated. Like every single step you take is getting evaluated. So like, you have to be very careful of how you're going about your business when you're there. Because we take, know. we take notes. We, every guy's got a little notepad, everything you do, you know, the way you, <laughs> <Yeah>. eat. <laughs> well, I mean, even the, uh, like the group leaders are scouts for teams. Like yep. we all, we're all broken in the groups. And so you have somebody who's an NFL scout, you know, watching you 24 seven, and outside of that, every single corner you turn, there's another NFL scout, you know, so you just have to make sure that you handle your business the right way. I mean, the it can get it can be very easy just to sit there and have a bad attitude through it all just because of the fact that, you know, you have medical two medical days and the first medical day you're sitting in the hospital for five, six hours getting MRIs, X-rays. And uh, then the next day you go back and then it's the general med day where they look at your X-rays, they look at your MRIs. You have to sit in front of teams. There's six rooms. You sit in front of um, every single team. Um, each room has a group of teams in there. You walk in, sit on a table. It's dead silent. No one's saying anything. And they're pretty much just staring at you. <laughs> and it's like they stare at you for like five minutes and just kind of looking at your x-rays they have on their computer and things like that. And then uh, you do that six times. So it can just it's easy to just sit there and say, man, like this is what are we doing? You know, like, the, you know, have a bad attitude. But then from the moment after that, you head into meetings with teams. So you carry on that bad attitude to meeting with teams. Your first impression to a team is, okay, he has a bad attitude just because you're so sick of the the medical stuff and you've been sitting around all day. So for me, it was all about just keeping a smile on my face the whole time because I knew that, you know, every single step I took was being watched. And 
if I just, you know, kept a smile on my face and kept having a good attitude that people would notice that. So as much as it was, you know, annoying to go there and do all the medical stuff and sit around all day and, you know, busy schedule, it was, it was fun, you know, cause not many people get to do that. You know, not many people get to sit in the seat that you're sitting in. So for me, it was just about enjoying every single, enjoying every single moment and making sure that every first impression that I had with teams um, was the best. Well, was there a moment, you know, obviously you're a division one football player, you're going to get drafted, but you go to this combine. And then once you do those interviews, you know, the horn sounds and you go to, Hey, the Pittsburgh Steelers want to talk to you. And then it's like Mike Tomlin sitting right there or Bill Belichick, or what was the first moment of like, damn, this is kind of crazy with one, with a famous guy. Yeah, it was, it was the first night when all those head coaches were there, like the first night of our, so we did a whole bunch of, uh, you know, checked in, did a couple other things, paperwork, all that type of stuff. And then um, we had our interviews that night and it was like four hours set aside um, for interviews. And it was from seven to 11 uh, PM. And we were like, uh, a lot of the guys were just like, is interviews and meetings really going to go four hours? Or is that just the time they set aside just to, you know, get that amount of time in? And no, like you really sit there for four hours and you meet with teams every single second. And like you said, the the horn goes off and it's just chaos, like teams going everywhere. Guys, so they put us in this little waiting area and uh, it's like a hundred some dudes in one small waiting area. Then outside of like these ropes they have set up are all the teams and coaches. And, you know, I would say when I saw Mike Tomlinson, that was that was one of the first coaches that I just sat there and just looked at him like this is mind blowing, you know, because you got somebody like him who, who's been, you know, such an amazing coach and growing up and seeing that, then seeing him on TV, then seeing him in person, you're just like, you don't really know what to think. You know, it's, so, it's such a surreal moment. So you just kind of have to take it all in. But then when you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, it's Mike Tomlinson, a team comes and snatches you and you're going off to go talk to somebody else. Then 15 minutes goes by, they blow a horn and you're like, okay, cool. I can go, I can, you know, kind of think about what the team I just met with and, you know, go over my head, you know, whatever it is that we went over. Um, but you didn't even have time to do that. You don't have time to think. It's like you're done 15 minutes and then you get pulled by another team. And by the time you're done with that other next meeting, the other 15 minutes, by the time you stand up, there's already more teams and that want to talk to you. So they're kind of hovering over you waiting for that moment so they can get you next. So it's like you don't have time to breathe. It's just taking as much information as you can, keep a smile on your face and move on. Kellen Moore walk by, give you a wink, and just keep on keep on walking. Actually, yeah, I don't think Kellen Moore was there. I didn't see him, but I would have I, I would have freaked out. I've actually never met Kellen Moore. Um, being here, boys, I've seen him a couple of times. He's like Joe Montana, at Boise State. Yeah, you know? no, he's a he's a legend here. He's a legend here. So I I definitely would have I would have freaked out if I would have saw him. But yeah, like I said, it's just it's chaos, but it's also fun and it's a blessing in itself. There's always rumors of weird questions people get asked. So any weird <laughs> questions you got asked at the combine? I didn't get asked any weird questions. I've heard that too. Um, I've heard some stuff that, uh, you know, I won't, you know, bring up on here, but I've heard some pretty, pretty reckless questions. Um, And I was preparing myself for the worst. So I kind of heard stories of people getting asked questions and things like that and how to answer them. Um, What were you preparing for? I was preparing for just. uh, Like, what did you in your mind think of that you needed to be ready for? Well, for me, I mean, I was only thinking of trying to just think of, you know, because teams will teach you an install, like a, a 10 minute, 10 or five, 10 minute install. And then they talk to you for a little bit and then they, they have you draw everything up. So that's what I was preparing myself more. Knowing, knowing that questions that, you know, I've heard from previous stories and guys and what they talk about, um, you know, I was going in knowing or thinking that they were going to ask those questions. So I kind of had answers already like, made up for those questions. Um, so I was ready for them, but my mind wasn't on, you know, what is the most reckless question they're going to ask me? I wasn't, I wasn't trying to think about that. I was trying to think about ball. Okay. I, I got a hypothetical for you. You're on the street. You're on a street. There are two homes. They're both on fire in one home. There's a puppy and you can hear the puppy barking mm. in the other home. Are your cleats, and your gloves, your special gloves that you wear, and you got a game the next day, and the equipment staff, even in the NFL, is out. So you got those, your cleats and your gloves, but there's a puppy in the other home, and, and you don't know how much time you got. It looks like the fire is picking up. What do you do? 
I'm, I'm gonna go for the puppy, man. I'm gonna go for the puppy. You know, I, I uh, as much as I'd want to say, and I do have a, a special favorite pair of gloves. I do, um, but you just can't walk past a puppy. Could, could you play without the gloves? Would you feel Would you feel right or no? Yeah, yeah. I, I played most of my. You know, I wasn't able to have gloves till like my eighth freshman year, eighth grade freshman year. My dad wouldn't let me wear gloves or anything like that because he said I had to earn them. So I. I I definitely could play without gloves. So just because of that in itself, that example right there, I'm going to save the puppy. I like that. Well, b- before we leave the combine, I, you know, for people listening that might not have been actually, you guys ran at night, huh? It, it's now yeah. prime time. Uh, you were one of the stars given that, I don't know, you ran a four, three, five real time. Uh, tell us, I mean, tell us about that moment. Obviously the track was running fast. I don't know by the time you ran, if like people thought like people are flying here, mm-hmm. But just how did uh, your last name is an S? So you would have been a little other yeah. guys had run. What was the mindset going in? And, you know, tell us the story about the cameraman I saw you talking about who whispered yeah. what your, your time was. Yeah. So I was actually, so my last name starts with an S and I was in the second group of receivers. So I was in the, that last group to go um, that day that, you know, the receivers, quarterbacks, and, and tight ends all worked out. So I was like in the last group. So I just had to, we sat there and watched the first group of receivers and quarterbacks go. We're sitting on the field for like an hour and a half, two hours. And uh, it's pretty quiet in there, very eerie environment. You know, it's just kind of like, um, you know, it's a lot different than when you're playing in front of 30,000 plus people, you know, it's a, but that is a moment that's going to set yourself up to put yourself in the best position to get drafted. You know, how fast you run the 40, the drills and all that type of stuff. And, so, and given your name, you're probably only a couple spots after Chris Olave, right? He's he yeah, was in yeah. your group. Yeah, <laughs> so, he was in, yeah. He was one of the first to run in our group. I actually ran after um, the, the dude who supposedly broke the, the, the 40 time um, Thornton from a uh, uh, Baylor. The receiver ran the four, two, one on official. Um, but I had I actually warmed up. I know I trained with him. Uh, we were down in Fort Lauderdale training. So uh, for me, I knew how fast he was. I know how fast the guys from the facility that I trained out were uh, that I trained at was. They had um, XPE had the fastest tight end, fastest safety, fastest corner, all these fast dudes. And I trained with all them. So I'm like, if I want to, you know, uphold the standard for training at XP, I have to run a fast time. And uh, I've never been like a straight line speed type of dude. And I know that a lot of people were questioning about my 40 time. So my mentality going into it all was, you know, no matter how long we're waiting to run this, I'm going to just make sure that I keep myself warm, um, get warm enough to, you know, go out there and run as fast as I can. And at the end of the day, you know, I accomplished that. So. So what did the camera guy say to you after you finished? He was like, so the only way you knew that you ran a decent time. So there was a small crowd, very, very small crowd in like the corner of the stadium. And, uh, if you crossed the line and, you know, waited a couple of seconds, they would start cheering. And that's how you knew you ran at least a decent time. So I crossed the line and I didn't hear any cheering. And I was like, Oh no, I, I messed up. So then immediately I'm thinking, hang, was my, was my start slow? Did I, what happened? Then the, they start cheering and I was like, okay. Then the camera, what, what, what time were you thinking in your head when they didn't cheer? Were you thinking like, was there a number in your head? There was um, sitting there. I was thinking I pro- I was thinking I ran a four five and I was like for me I just wanted to be in the four fours or less, so then I was like oh I messed up you know and I and I knew that for me it was like immediately went to okay I have to run even faster this next one but I crossed the line waited like you know thirty seconds to a minute the crowd starts cheering and I was like okay decent time at least then the cameraman looks at me and he you know he gets the camera in my face and he just whispers he just goes nice time and I just like. And I kind of looked at him and I didn't know if that, that camera was live or what was going on. So I tried to like whisper back, like, what was it? Yeah. And then he was like, he whispered four, three, five. And, you know, you kind of have to play it off. You kind of like, I don't, I don't want to start like celebrating, you know, like, <laughs> so I just kind of like, I just kind of like kept a straight face and just, you know, shook my head a little bit and, uh, you know, kept walking. And actually one of my guys on the field, um, he was in the tight end group. So here he ran. And he was on Twitter checking the times for, you know, all the guys we train with. So um, heard it from him as well. But it was just a it was an amazing moment, to be honest. I mean, that's a really big deal, you know. And I mean, that's it really is. I texted with a GM today who's like, we were blown away. Obviously, people like you a lot in this draft mm-hmm. class. But you do that, right, especially behind those two guys yeah. who, you know, everyone was waiting to see. It's just 
that's a big moment for your life, right? Even whatever happens from here on out, we still talk about like Devonte Adams forty. Like you just yeah. talk about that for the rest Devante of Devonte talks about Devonte's yeah. forty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it was fun for sure. Definitely fun. You know, obviously it shows that all the work that you put in for eight to ten week, eight to ten weeks straight of speed training, it all pays off. You know, so um, it was definitely a, a moment that I'll never forget. You know, one of the things going on right now is. Uh, one of the big NFL stories non-draft right now is Debo Samuel and the 49ers trying to figure out how much he's worth. And one of the complicating factors is trying to figure out what exactly he is because he went from star receiver to star everything last year and had the rare year in which a receiver slash running back and it became a wide back carries a team deep in the playoffs. You're interesting because you – I did not realize this – you you ran the ball more than you caught the ball your senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. So how do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as a receiver? Do you think of yourself as partly a running back? Like, And how does that translate? Do you think it translates for you to the NFL? I, mean, I think of myself as the most versatile player in this draft. I think if you watch my film, you know, over my course of playing at Boise State, um, I'm lining up everywhere. And I think that you know, that plays to my advantage as far as heading into the to the draft because I could provide depth to any position on the offensive side of the ball. You know, I've lined up in the slot. I've lined up at X and Z. I've lined up at running back. I've lined up in the wildcat. And, you know, I can say it, but I also have film to back it up as well. And I think that it's going to translate well into the league. You know, you see guys like Debo who, who, do, who do that, and they're, you know, trying to make a name for whatever it is, the position that he plays because he's playing everywhere. But you see how – far he carried his team and how well he did for his team and you know the numbers he put up well moving around you know so I think that a guy like Debo is kind of opening the door to guys like myself in my game as well um to you know how how well that actually translate into the league you know so I think that it definitely plays in my advantage I think that I'm the most versatile player in the draft and I definitely think that my gameplay is going to translate well just because of my knowledge of learning all these different positions over the course of the four years and how much, how much information I had to retain going into game days and going out there and still playing at an elite level while lining up at every single position. So I think that it's going to translate very, very well. When I asked just some of my buddies in the league to give me a scattering report on you, they all of them said great instincts. And you mentioned your dad, you know, wouldn't let you wear gloves to me. Instincts, Obviously, you hone them in Division One at Boise, but that's something you develop at a very young age. Like, when did you start playing football? Was your dad a big, you know, coach? You went Pee Wee's and junior high before in high school. Obviously, you played multiple positions. Just how did it all kind of start? Yeah, I started playing tackle football when I was seven years old, and I actually started playing football in Japan. So uh, I'm a military baby. My dad moved. Uh, my dad was a Marine wow. for 24 years. So moved around a lot. Uh, it was seven years old in Japan. Um, I didn't want to play football at first because I didn't like the idea of getting hit or tackled at seven years old. Uh, I'm not sure who does really like getting hit like that and tackled and all that type of stuff, but I actually didn't, I was, I was big on soccer at first. So I played soccer years before that. And I'd just been playing soccer. Then my dad was like, you're going to play football this year. His buddy started the league. It was pretty much each American base around had their own youth football teams for each division. Um, so my first year playing football was actually only two teams in, in my division. Uh, it was, we were the lions and then there was another team. I can't remember the name, but we played each other for like eight or nine weeks straight. Every single, every single weekend, it was the same team, same players. It was the only, that's as much kids that signed up to play tackle football at that age. So, and in Japan, so um, Okinawa, yeah, Okinawa, yeah. Okinawa, Japan. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, uh, that's kind of where it all started, you know, started at seven years old, only two teams in the, in the league uh, or in the division played each other every weekend. And uh, after that first year, my dad was my coach. Um, you know, I started to, you know, kind of build this love for the game that, you know, there really is no other game like it. When you go out there, um, the ability to go out there and, you know, put on pads, helmet, all that type of stuff and go out there and hit people. I, the first thing that I didn't like about it when I started getting hit and tackled is the thing that I fell in love with as my time went on. You know, the idea that this guy on defense is trying to take my head off, but I'm going to put the meanest juke move on him ever so that he doesn't tackle me and embarrass him. And that's kind of, you know, the mentality that I've built. You know, for me, it's whoever's going against me, you know, I want their families to to be embarrassed by how I do them on the field. You know, that's kind of my my mentality now. So it's uh, it's it's crazy. So you play with anger. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say I play with anger. I, I play with having fun. I think, uh, you know, for that, it's uh, it's it's for me, you know, everybody has their reason as to why they play and how, how to get themselves going. And for me, I go into every game just being happy, keeping a smile on my face. But at the end of the day, I know anybody that lines across from me, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to embarrass you. You know, it's it's just how the game goes. It's how I get myself going. It's how, you know, I don't want to end up on somebody else's, you know, highlight film. I want to put people on my highlight film, you know, so that's kind of how it goes. Prize Picks is America's number one fantasy sports app because it's the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. While you watch your favorite players in sports, you just pick more or less on two or more player stats and then the fun is on. Prize Picks has something for every sports fan from basketball to hockey to League of Legends and everything in between. It's really simple to play. You make your picks, submit an entry in less than 60 seconds. I'll do it at halftime of a basketball game. And I also have some season-long more or less picks on MLB homers. You may remember, I've got less on Otani homers this year. We'll see. And at halftime of your next NBA blowout game, just jump on and go, ah, Steph Curry more than 11 points in the second half. It'll change the game for you. Download the Prize Picks app and use the code HAM50 for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's HAM50 for a first deposit match of up to $100. Prize Picks, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Butcherbox.com slash ham and another special deal. Free for a year. You get salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips in every order for a year, plus an additional 20 bucks off right now at butcherbox.com slash ham. Been telling you about it for years. Been eating it for years on a regular basis. Easily find high quality meat and seafood. You can trust 100% grass fed beef free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Always be prepared with meat in the freezer when you get butcherbox.com ham delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping. ButcherBox is offering you free for a year plus an additional 20 bucks off either salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips in every order for free. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ham and use the code ham to choose your free offer for a year plus get $20 off your first order. What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at game time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called game time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park, been there a million times, never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app, your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game time app, promo code HAM. Save yourself $20. We don't even need a thank you. Just hammer that promo code. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, one thing that jumps off when you just watch throwing a YouTube of your your highlights is you do a lot of work over the middle. I'm not saying you're Julian Edelman, but you kind of play. There's a fearless nature of just bodies everywhere. Obviously, you have you have fantastic hands. I mean, you've made countless one-handed catches in your career, but to me, the fearlessness of going over the middle, and I, I know the rules, it's not as violent, but you, you see guys in college get kicked out, mm-hmm. it feels like every week. So it's like guys are still getting blasted. Uh, is that something that you've had playing running back? You just don't, whatever, hit me, or you just know you're going to move and the guy's going to miss? Well, it, I mean, it's a part of the game. Like, that's what you sign up for. You sign up to get hit. You sign up to hit. Um, it's a it's a big part of the game, and I know the rules are changing a lot, but football is still going to be played how football is supposed to be played. You know, you're going to get guys who run across the middle and get lit up. And I think once you accept that, 
that fear of running over the middle goes away. You know, a lot of guys go across the middle and it's like, I really don't want to get hit by this safety because I know he's coming downhill and I know he's going to light me up. You know, I don't go across the middle, think that I go across the middle with confidence, knowing that, you know, my awareness is, you know, one of the best in the game. And I know that, you know, understanding the game as well and what the defense is doing as far from a coverage standpoint too helps a lot. You know, I know if I have this route going across the middle and they're in a certain coverage that, you know, there are always those open zones and open spot within each coverage and within each defense to where I can kind of settle in and then catch the ball and go. So I think that that fear of going across the middle first starts with getting over the fear is, okay, if I get hit, I get hit, whatever. It's a part of the game. But also at the same time, understanding, you know, just football overall. I heard a uh, great story this weekend. I was out at the Stanford spring game and Doug Baldwin was there and uh, Doug got recruited to Stanford right when they hired Jim Harbaugh. He had been recruited and they didn't know Harbaugh and David Shaw, who was the his, his lead assistant, didn't know what they, if they were going to keep Doug Baldwin or not. So David Shaw goes to Doug Baldwin's house and he's trying to figure out, like, should we keep the scholarship for this guy? And he stays for dinner and they're like, uh, a coach, have you seen Doug play basketball? He's like, no, let's throw on some basketball tape. So they throw on the basketball tape, and the second he sees the basketball tape, he goes, oh, my God, we got to keep this guy. Well, Doug's thing, and I asked him about it this weekend, his thing was he thought of himself like Allen Iverson playing football like because he was all about his release, and he his in his mind it was about crossing over the cornerback. Mm. And that's how he thought of himself. So who do you watch? Who do you – I don't know if you think of yourself as somebody, but like who do you watch that translates – for whatever it is that you think separates you. Yeah, I mean, I, I like watching a lot of guys for whatever I'm trying to accomplish within my game. And I think the main thing for me, if I'm trying to, you know, expand my horizon as far as my release package, um, I watch guys like Devontae Adams, you know. You've seen him do the craziest stuff as far as, especially his red zone releases to where um, I always bring this up, but he he's, acts like he's running a fade, throws the hand up, then comes right back down under to run a slant. You know, that's just stuff that, Man, it, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of practice to do things like that. And even guys like Devontae Adams, the main thing that I like about him is when he said that, you know, he doesn't do a whole bunch of drills when he goes out there and trains. He he doesn't do all the cone work. He runs routes. You know, he says to get to be a better route runner, you know, run, go out there and practice running routes. And I think, you know, that speaks for itself. When you watch him, when you watch him, it shows whatever he just told us, it obviously works, you know. So if I'm trying to work on my release package, and, you know, trying to shake guys off the line. I like watching Devontae Adams, but I also like watching a lot of Cooper Cup. You know, he plays the game with a lot of finesse and savviness, and I think that's what I bring to the table as well. You know, he's not the fastest guy, um, but at the end of the day, he's, he gets open, you know, 90% of the time just because of what he's able to do. And that in itself, you know, the reason why he's always open is because all around he's a great player within being a receiver and catching the ball and getting open, running routes, creating separation, but also helping a lot in the run game as well, which helps him get open. So, you know, for him, when I just want to watch a guy who just who knows how to play the game and does it with such finesse, I like watching Cooper Cup a lot. It's funny. I, I didn't know your dad was a Marine, and the story makes a lot of sense now why you didn't entertain transferring when a lot of guys are doing it. You know, I was I think Patriots when I hear you talk, and then I look and I see Troy Brown. You might have been in Japan at the time when that guy was becoming a living legend. Mm. Obviously, I'm sure you know who he is. Comes out to your pro day, who's now the wide receiver coach for the for the Patriots. What was that like? Put you through a workout? Uh, you know, do, do you feel some vibes there with uh, New England? I know they're not really the vibiest team, but, I mean, they yeah. sent their receiver coach. Yeah, no. I mean, that was cool. I mean, I definitely, you know, I'm sitting there warming up, and he starts warming up with me. And I was just like, uh, um, I didn't know that was a thing. But, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, it Similar was, size? Are you bigger than him? I would say I'm bigger. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't put some weight on now. I didn't, I didn't got a little big. So uh, <laughs> no, I'll definitely say, um, no, that was just a blessing itself to be able to, you know, he, he was putting, you know, me and our other receiver Octavius through um, the route tree and just kind of telling us what to do in the routes. And not only that, but within that we'd run a route and he'd, he'd come coach me up right away. And I think that right there, obviously it's hard not to sit there and say that you don't feel a connection with, with somebody like that, who, you know, you can tell he cares about the game. You can tell that he cares about his players and only wants them to run the best routes and be the best football player and be the best version of themselves. That's kind of the vibe that I got from from him on pro day. So, um, you know, I'd like to say the vibe with, with him was cool. And, you know, I, I wouldn't 
you know, for me, it's just keeping my head open to whatever team I end up on. I end up on. But at the end of the day, whatever team does decide to pull the trigger on me is going to get a phenomenal player. Yeah, we don't want to uh, narrow the narrow the focus here. But no, are there pla- teams? Are there places that you think make sense for you, or styles, um, or coaches, or? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's you know, I've been. I know that I can play anywhere. I know I can line up anywhere. Um, I've been told a lot, you know, as far as, you know, going in the league and playing slot, you know, I've heard that a lot. Um, so for me, it's okay. If that's what, you know, 90% of the the 32 teams are thinking, then uh, let me start, let me go ahead and say, okay, what teams do fit. And at the end of the day, you don't, you don't, obviously I don't make the decision to, to pick a team and go. Um, it's whatever team, you know, wants me. So for me, it's whatever team decides to pick me, obviously feels like I'm a best fit for that team. So um, it's just keeping that mindset, keeping my, my head open to whatever team wants to pick me up. And like I said, whatever team does pick me up, well, I'll have that sense of relief as far as they know that I'm I'm a right fit for them and that every day I'm going to just go in there and just work hard and, you know, and just carry a chip on my shoulder and just ball out. Is it a weird feeling that, I mean, you are a couple weeks away from getting drafted into the National Football League which is basically every 12-year-old kid's dream in, in America, yet you have no clue what's going to happen or where you're going to go. So you're like, you know something's going to happen, but like you have no clue what is actually going to happen. You could be a Lions fan. You could be a Packers fan. <laughs> yeah. You could be a Dolphins <laughs> fan. In two weeks, that'll be your favorite team. I no, Honestly, yeah, does, that, does that make you give you a little anxiety or is it like exciting? Oh, no, no. I, like I said, I don't. I don't get nervous much. I don't have much anxiety when it comes down to these type of things. You know, I've been playing ball my whole life, you know, and for me, it's, you know, I've, I'm, I've put in the work and I'm going to keep putting in the work and no matter what, where I end up or where I go, um, the, the grind continues regardless of what, what happens and what the situation is. So, you know, like I said it, it is, it's, it's weird, you know, cause you get recruited in college and, and you get to make that decision. You get to choose, but then you make it to this point and it's like, it's the complete opposite so right now, I mean, for me, I'm just I'm just hoping for the best. And, you know, I know that I'll, I'll be put in the spot that I'm supposed to be put into and God willing, it'll be the, the perfect fit for myself. Is there a round or spot you kind of, you know, obviously you aspire to be as high a pick as possible. But I mean, realistically, is there is there kind of a range that you and your agent and just kind of the vibe of things were, were you thinking? I've heard a whole bunch of things. I've heard a lot of things and it's, you know, day two, day three, just depending on whatever happens. But at the end of the day, for me, it's not even about day one, day two, day three or whatever it is. It's if I get an opportunity, just whatever team decides to give me an opportunity, um, I'll go ahead and and prove myself from there. I know that I'm going to have to prove myself. You know, you go in as a young dude um, and, you know, a lot of guys like, is this kid, you know, worth playing on the team? And for me, I'm just going to build that respect amongst the players and the staff that I do belong there. I, some kind of big picture, and I, I don't know. It's it, it might be hard. You're in the moments. So I don't know if you have a perspective on this, but um, last year there were five first round receivers taken. The year before that there were six, but like that 2020 class, there were a bunch of guys taken in the second round. I mean, it was a really productive receiver group. Last year's re- receiver group hit the ground running. So there were more first round receivers taken the last two years than the previous four years combined in the first round. And, I, and I've heard theories, just simple stuff like there's a lot of seven on seven, more teams play spread offense in college. So there's just more reps for more guys like guys get to their junior college and there are more of them on a team. There might be four or five guys that have had, you know, 60 catches, 60 balls thrown their way, whatever the case is, versus in years past in a pro style offense, that sort of thing. So what's your view on like, do you look around and see a bunch of really good receivers and the guys that you did seven on seven camp with or? Uh, with that you work out with or senior ball. Like, do you think, again, I know it's like you weren't doing this five years ago, so it's hard to compare to five years ago. But um, what do you think? Do you think what we're seeing, do you think there's just a, a, a deep class consistently every year of a lot of really good receivers given the way the game is played right now? Yeah, I definitely think that has something to do with it. You know, um, seven on seven football creates that aspect of year round ish football, you know, and when it comes down to, you know, seven on seven, it comes down to, you know, fundamental technique and going out there. You know, the quarterback does only have four seconds, three, four seconds to throw the ball. So you do have to work your technique and get open pretty fast. And I think that that does help a lot when it goes down to, you know, the draft class and stuff. A lot of guys in this year's draft class um, played seven on seven football. But at the end of the day, I think as the years go on, it's only going to get, you know, deeper and deeper for each class. And I think not only not just the receivers, but each every position as well. And I think that, you know, you got guys who, 
you see on the craziest things on Twitter who are in middle school and they're already as big as college people already, you know? So I think that, you know, times are just changing, you know, where people are just, you know, getting even better and starting that, starting their careers at way more younger age to get ready for these type of moments. So I think that it just comes with people just taking the game more serious and that talent is just starting to show more and more every single year, just because of the work and the, and the time and the commitment that guys have put into this game. Were the two Ohio State guys in your group at the Combine, like that you yes. guys went around with? You know, you talk about the scouts focus on everything on you. Obviously, you know, they're two hyped up guys going into the Combine. You know, you're competitive, like every guy is at the Combine. Were you kind of sizing them up? You know, if that's kind of the, you know, the guys viewed as the top 15 picks, you spend a lot of time with them, you pick their brain, were you competing with them? What was that just kind of couple days like being around those two guys? Uh, I mean, I didn't. I actually I don't think I spoke one word to them. I don't. Uh, for me, it's um, Tiger Woods here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just. Uh, I don't know, man. I I I think very highly of myself, and uh, you know, for me, it's a. Uh, I don't need to pick their brains because I believe that you know my football IQ and everything that I've done up until this point, up to this point, you know, speaks for itself, and I'm very confident within myself. Um, but of course, there's a lot of sizing up going on. You know, you get onto the field and you're like, Am I taller than him? Am I bigger than him? Uh, are my routes better than his? Oh, is he dropping a ball? Oh, if he dropped that ball, I'm gonna go catch this one. You know, mm. things like that. It's 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 just what we do as men in a in a you know situation like that, to where you got a group of you know 30, 40 receivers all standing next to each other who you know are being considered to as being draft picks. It's like, what is he? What is he doing that you know that they think is better than I'm doing? And for me, at the end of the day, you know, I did a self evaluation evaluation after it all was over. And I was just like, you know, I know I know I can compete with these guys. I know I'm better than these guys. And it's just a mentality that I carry with myself. And I know that every single person within the draft puts in a lot of work. You know, everybody puts in the work to get to this moment. But at the end of the day, which is something that I struggle with, you have to kind of be selfish in a time like this yeah. and worry about yourself so that you can put yourself above others and put yourself in the best position to get drafted even higher. So, yeah, I've heard people say that in years past, like it's. It's complicated. It's a weird time for I've heard other prospects say that like it's a weird time because you're so you, your whole life since you were seven, you're on a team mm -hmm. and now you're just on team Shakir. Like that's yeah. the team. And then yeah. in two weeks, like John said, now it's back to being a team. Someone's going to be like, well, congrats on making the team, but somebody else gets that rep or you got to do this, mm -hmm. which you don't want to do or whatever. I could see how that would be a little bit uncomfortable. That's, yeah, but it's it probably like in some ways refreshing. Like you don't have to worry about anybody else. Yeah. Which is, I, I struggle with that. And I think for me, you know, just who I am as a person, you know, being on my team this past four years and being in a team setting, like I'm a big time team guy. And when I am kind of out solo, like I am right now, it can be, you know, sort of a struggle because it's like, you don't, you don't have those, those brothers, that brotherhood to lean on. You know, I was just talking to the team the other day and I was just like, you guys have to cherish this moment because, you know, when you get into what I'm going through right now, it's kind of like you're solo and on your own. Obviously you have your family who's, you know, things like that but as far as like going through the grind with each other like that the training that i did for the combine and things like that and even right now is the most in, intense training i've ever been through because i'm trying to get myself ready mentally and physically for the highest level of football you know and when you're in college and you're grinding you can look to, to the brother to your left and your right and say hey man you know like, like let's get this work you know when you're going through it on your own it's like you turn to your right turn to your left and it's you know you're by yourself you know so i think that I struggled with that a little bit early on when I first got into the training aspect because I, I'm i a huge, you know, I, I thrive on the brotherhood aspect of the game, you know, just the team aspect. So it's definitely tough, but at the end of the day, if you want to be, you know, like myself, I want to be considered one of the best players that ever played the game, you know, and, and that in itself is enough motivation for me to go out there and get it every single day. When was the first time, obviously, you know, you aspire to be a professional football player when you're young, like most kids, I'm sure. But like when you were at Boise, either someone said to you, like, bro, you can be an NFL player or you realize like I can be an NFL player. Was there a moment like your sophomore year? Was there a moment with an assistant coach? Did Harson say something to you? Like they're like, this thing is real. This is not like you're a good player at Boise State. Like you can play on Sundays and have a career and make money doing this. Yeah, I think that was a combination of freshman year and sophomore year. And I say that because when I came in as a freshman, um, you get there and we're going through fall camp and we come together. So we split up the first couple of days where like the first three practices are all like the young guys and one practice and all the vets are on the other practice. 
And there's only like two, three guys from the younger group that get pulled up to practice with the vets. And I wasn't one of those guys. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I want to play this year and I know that I can play this year. And like I said, I'm si- I'm sizing guys up. Like yeah. this guy's a four or five year vet, but you know, I, I definitely can compete with him. Um, then we, we come together as a whole team in practice and coach Harson and uh, coach Harson and the receiver coach at that time, coach Keysaw had told me that, you know, I was going to play as a freshman. And I think that was that moment that I realized that, you know, that these coaches really believe in, in my, my talent, my ability to go out there and, and compete every single day and compete at a high level. And then going into sophomore year, um, freshman year, I didn't have the stuff I want to have as a true freshman, but I was like, okay, I'm not going to sit here and dwell on that. Um, but those coaches did nothing every single day, but, you know, help me just be a better person, a better player overall, you know, going into sophomore year, that's when my role on the team changed a lot as far as, okay, you we want you to play our slot spot, but going into every single game, you got to know every single position. So then going into every single week, those coaches putting that trust in me to go out there every single go out there every single game and play multiple positions was when I realized that they're putting this amount of trust into me and they obviously respect my game enough that I that they have confidence for me to go out there and do that every single every single day, every single game day is when I realized, you know, that sophomore year is when I realized that when I was like, okay, you know, they're they're putting this amount of, you know, trust into me and and my role on the team is only getting bigger and bigger every single week and playing so many other different positions. And I was like, well, I can take that and run with it. And if I go out there and just keep putting that, keep putting, you know, elite game, elite plays, uh, playmaking abilities on, on film, then the rest, the rest is going to speak for itself. Well, a lot of it's there. I mean, we watch the tape. It's, there's a lot of plays to, yeah. to, uh, to, to see um, what's your, what's your draft night plan or draft nights plan. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to handle the draft? Yeah, I'm going down to Pensacola, Florida. Uh, my grandparents are down there. Uh, uh, you know, got a Airbnb on Pensacola Beach and just going to, uh, you know, sit there and see what happens. But just got the family going down there and oh, that's cool. it's going to be a fun couple of days. So how much what's the fa- how, who's in the family? Who's who's coming with you? Oh, I got it's honestly I didn't even realize how big my family was till I started planning for this. Um, got a big family. So I got, you know, a lot of uncles and, and aunts on on both sides. My mom is coming from California. She lives in my hometown, Marietta. Uh, she's bringing only people from California. She's bringing, you know, one of my uh, best friends ever since I was young in their family. And other than that, it's a lot of my dad's family down that way. They all live down that way anyway. So um, then my, my fiance and her family will be down there as well. I'd say your dad's got to be pretty proud keeping those gloves away from you paid off, you know? Yeah, no doubt. He's <laughs> definitely, uh, you know, I say we don't cry much, but I think he might shed a tear on that day. <laughs> he should. That's a big yeah. deal, man. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. Well, hey, Khalil, thanks for taking time, man. It's awesome talking to you. Yeah, thank you guys for, you know, giving me the opportunity to come on here and just chop it up with you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Our no favorite problem, Bronco, man. John. Well, I, I'm, th- I'm thinking Cowboy. I could see CD. Kellen using him in the slot with Jarwin, you know, Boise to Boise, you know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see they what need happens. some receivers. They got yeah. rid of Amari. Yeah, no. Cowboys, I, I baby. I wouldn't be mad, yeah. Who's your dad? <laughs> who's your dad's team? Falcons. Falcons. Oh, so, He's uh, he man, has he, uh, his whole garage is um falconed out. He has a, a home garage. He has Falcons carpet, Falcons uh, you know, portraits and his his truck is red and black. He got red and black carpets in his truck. All crazy stuff. His his whole house got Falcon stuff all in it. So that's his that's his team. So he showed you a lot of Julio tape then. Oh yeah, big fan of Julio. Big fan. Khalil, thanks, man. Yep, thank you. Thanks, guys. bro. Good luck, man. Look yep, forward to you. watching you. All right, John. That was Khalil Shakir. You know, one thing, just real quick before we wrap it up here, he got me thinking about. We can talk about this another time, but. He's talking about seven on seven and, you know, all the guys. I do wonder, listening to him talk, not if it will become more of a valued trait because it's always been a valued trait, but you can just kind of understand maybe competitiveness. If you're a scout, how could you draft a guy whose competitiveness you question? Uh, You hear it all the time. Talent, talent. Yeah. You know, physical attributes. Can you make up for if you only play 80% of the snaps hard because you're so good, right? But and I that's can just where find yourself getting in a lot of trouble, right? You, but you don't understand what I'm saying based on we just talked about like seven on seven and, you know, all the competition, all that. Like listening to him talk about the combine, the competition of other guys. I can see how if you're a GM or a scout talking to Khalil Shakir, you go, the competitiveness is off the charts, right? And it shows up like when you watch him, we both watched a ton of him, like you see it on the field. 
It's yeah, not just talk. And I, I maybe I asked the question the wrong way. I, you know, when you're with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, like obviously when you're in the draft process, you know the sweet players at your position. Yeah. So I, it, I honestly respect it a lot. Like I'm not there to kiss these guys' ass, but I'm I'm gonna size them up or whatever. But he knows. I mean, those guys are getting drafted high, right? And he, you know, I think going into the combine, I think he was viewed more as like a fourth fifth round pick again that's a lot of i mean kittle was a fifth round. Like you can become a really good player you run in the high four threes uh one thing i got was like yeah we didn't expect him to run that fast so clearly they view it more like he already plays really well like his tape speaks for itself and then you know like he just focused on training all he has to do once he gets the league is focus on football you could argue that he's even going to get better right because he's not a fifth year senior he played immediately at a program for not being a you know a power five power, they they are viewed as it's not an easy program to just go in there and play immediately. Yeah, I think there are things required of you that prepare you for for the NFL. Right, there's a level of buy-in that you have to have as a teammate, a level of work ethic you have to have, a level of a level of uh, um, you know your IQ. You just got to be smart, right? There's yeah, just Boise, a lot of things. Yeah, where, yeah Boise is just a high level place, so. He, uh, we, we're not afraid to admit that. I, 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 I'm rooting for him to get drafted, and you know, obviously, you'd rather get drafted on the second day than the third day. Uh, that'd be pretty cool to be a, being a third round pick. Is you know, not that being a fourth round pick sucks, but it's pretty yeah. cool to get drafted on Friday, right? Yep. Yep. Khalil, go get him. Ham is rooting for you. Hopefully, we can uh, talk to him again soon, John, because we enjoyed that. Hope you guys did too. Ham out. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.